0: Well, we are continuing our series, Ever Wonder Why. Now, uh, I'm sure, let me start here. Probably most of us are familiar uh, with the story or book, uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, has anyone read that book all the way through? Anyone? Okay, Hagen. Now, I have not, full transparency, So this summary is brought to you by SparkNotes. This is is not me. But most of us probably get the idea, right? We have Henry Jekyll, who is a doctor, a well-respected guy in the community, just seen as kind of a good person. But there's some things in his life that he doesn't love. He kind of wishes, man, I just wish I could get rid of that, separate it. So he begins an experiment to separate his good side from his evil side, if you will. And he eventually succeeds and is able to fully become that darker half, Mr. High. And him as a character in the book is seen as kind of a cruel, violent uh, guy, even um, accused of murder throughout the book. And not really, uh, he's described as pretty ugly, like not even fully human in a way. And again, he is Jekyll's dark side that's mostly free of morals and conscious uh, conscience. And he can be brought kind of to life just by a potion. And so this whole book, most of it, people are wondering, okay, what's the connection here? You have Jekyll and Hyde, and uh, they're trying to figure out how are they connected, but then we find out they're the same person. And at the end of the book, Dr. Jekyll actually admits that, yeah, I initially enjoyed becoming that darker half. Like it was kind of harmless and freeing in the beginning, uh, but then eventually he began to kind of lose control. As he was trying to hide and keep this secret, he tried harder and harder, but then the desire to change grew, and even his ability to to hold it back, he lost it. And eventually, again, he's dealing with the secret, he tries harder and harder to keep this from happening, but he fails. And this struggle ultimately led to the loss of his own life, and even lives around him. And you may wonder, why do I start with such a cheery summary of this uplifting book, and I start there because it kind of makes me think, I wonder how many, how many of us in this room, like Dr. Jekyll in this story, have things that we're hiding, have things that we are ashamed of in our own life, things that, um, we're, that we're not proud of. Maybe it's a sin that's just been there for too long and it started as, okay, you know what, I know it's not good, but it's just, a, I, I fail every now and then. But then it kind of grows into something that more controls us and that, we're, that we don't want in our life. And it may have led some of us to ask the question that we're talking about this morning of why can't I stop? And if you've asked that question in here, it's probably, all, for a lot of us, different reasons. It's okay, why can't I stop being on my phone and social media for hours at a time? Like, why can't I stop overeating? Why can't I stop being angry with my family, with my coworkers, with people around me? Why can't I stop doing this thing in my life? That maybe we have sinned, that no matter how hard we've tried, we just end up back to the same place. That we've made commitments, maybe even a New Year's resolution, like, I'm done with this, no longer made a promise to God, and we've tried and tried, but we still can't seem to win over this thing in our life that we want to stop, but the change doesn't come. So what I'd like to do is for the next few minutes, dive into this, uh, this struggle that we have as Christians, that even though we have the desire to do what's right, it doesn't necessarily carry over into our actions. And so it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter seven is where we're going to be. And, uh, before we read this, I, I, I want us to keep something in mind. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and you may read this, or we're going to you know, kind of go through it, and it may sound like, wow, this guy is struggling, like th- this guy is messed up, but this is not a new believer. Like Paul roughly has been saved around 25 years at this point, and so he's been growing and maturing as a follower of Jesus, but this is what he has to say about himself. Romans 7, verse 18, and the following verses. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So in the previous verses, Paul is looking at himself and then God. And his standards, his commands, and his conclusion, nothing good dwells in me. Now, he's not saying that he can never do anything right or anything good, but he's saying he's not perfect. He fails. That he desires to do only good, but he can't make it a reality. And he's saying, okay, I want to do good, but then I can't do it, and I end up doing wrong. And the very thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing that anyway. And you can kind of see the pinball going back and forth in his mind, this struggle, this this tension that he's feeling. And then he says, okay, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it must be the sin in me. And, you know, it can't be me because I don't want to do that, but I still do that anyway. And it kind of sounds like Paul is trying to shift blame, but he's not just ducking responsibility. Otherwise, he wouldn't, you know, have to feel bad if it wasn't him. If he's just saying, oh, it's the sin in me, you know, what are you going to do? He understands, yes, it's a sin in him, but he is expressing the reality of our condition as humans. And although he has been saved by grace, through faith, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he still has a propensity to sin. That even though he's been forgiven, promised eternal life, he's been given the Holy Spirit, sealed him to lead him for the rest of this life, he is still a sinner by nature, which is true for all of us. That all of us are born into this world that if left up just to us, we are going to go against God. We do. That's just who we are. And you see that early on. Like even uh, all the parents in the room, I'm guessing uh, that you, you've you taught your kids a lot. You teach them how to tie their shoes, how to hit a baseball, their ABCs, all this stuff. But you know what I'm guessing you never had to teach them? is how to sin, right? Okay, you had to teach them a lot, but that's something they'll figure out on their own. And they'll be pretty good at it, okay? Just like all of us are. And so for Paul, or even us as Christians, although we've been saved from the penalty of sin, and we don't desire to follow it, we are still tempted by it. That we have righteousness in Jesus, but we ourselves are sinners. And so bottom line, foundation, what he wants us to understand moving forward is that as a Christian, if we have placed our full faith in Jesus, that he is our substitute for our sin, if we are Christians, that for us, sin no longer reigns, but it still remains. Sin no longer reigns as in we don't have to face the penalty of it, it no longer determines our eternity But while we are here in this life, it still remains. It will be something that we have to battle. And he keeps writing, verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. And that's just uh, the the side of him that wants to honor God. But I see in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So he says more on this idea that it is a principle, like it's a fact, that sin has this ability to infiltrate everything that we do and impact every area of our lives, every good thought, every good word, every good motive. He's saying sin... As lingering sin doesn't seem to let up, even though I want, I'm i joyfully wanting to obey God. And in verse 24, he cries out, almost in frustration, of saying, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of death? And this phrase, set free, or to set me free, what it was used as is um, kind of a reference to a soldier Going uh, to a wounded comrade on the battlefield and removing them from danger. So they are setting them free from danger to where they can no longer be hurt. That's what, okay, so Paul writes this. That's what he has in mind. He's saying, This sinful side of me, my flesh, it's dangerous. Who will set me free from it? And he's wanting that to be true for him as well. And notice what he wants to be saved from. He says, Who will set me free from this body? Of death, and uh, it seems pretty vivid, and it's not for sure this is what's in his mind. Uh, but I was, as I was reading a little bit on this verse, uh, it was reported that somewhere near Paul's hometown, that there was a tribe there that, um, again, thousands of years ago, they used to deal with their convicted murderers uh, in a very specific and cruel way. Uh, what they would do is someone is found guilty of murder. They would take that person and then they would take the corpse of the murder victim and tie them to the murderer themselves. So arms in arms, hand in hand, face to face, tie them together for however long it took for the murderer to die. Because eventually the decay of the victim, you know, infected them and it killed them. I mean, uh, they'd be likely for disease. The flies around them would start laying eggs and the smell alone would be a problem. Like, this is not a pretty picture at all. Uh, And even in Fremont, I've, the past few years, I've worked at a funeral home, kind of part-time, and I've been able to see um, and smell what happens to us when we pass. Like, uh, I've been one of those people that when someone passes in their home or facility, I've removed them and taken them to the funeral home and getting them, got them ready for embalming or cremation, whatever the next step is. And again, I've, I don't know if we've all had exposure to that, but this is no joke. This is probably one of the worst ways that I can imagine dying, being sentenced to death and being joined face-to-face with a body of death. This may be what Paul has in mind, this kind of torturous death he wants to be freed from. It's a graphic image, but just like anybody else, if, if they had a dead person attached to them, you would want to be freed from them, right? Paul's saying, I want to be freed from this body of death, my sinfulness, my nature, my flesh. And he doesn't just say, yeah, it's annoying. He doesn't just say it's convenient or it's inconvenient. He says, my sinful side is waging war against everything I try to do, everything I want to do. It's not just present. It's not just noticeable. It is actively opposing me. And so I kind of think about it this way. I don't know if Logan's in the room somewhere. I asked, oh, he's in the front row. Dang. Uh, I asked him to help me out real quick. See, Paul says that we are at war, right? And he is at war with himself, the side of him that wants to honor God. Thank you. Versus the side that doesn't want to honor God. So as great as a human being as Logan is, for the time, just for the moment, he's going to represent the sinful side. All right? So we have the side that wants to honor God of Michael, and then side that does not want to honor God. And I kind of think of it, it can be like tug of war. Now, all of us get the concept. We've probably played it, you know, in school as a kid, when we're field day or gym class, whatever it is. You get your team, get your grip, get your stance. You got to make sure the person in the back, they're anchored down. You know, they're, they're, they're ready to go. You're not going anywhere. And then three, two, one, you start pulling. Now, usually, unless it's really mismatched, like when you first start pulling, there's not much progress, right? It's like kind of a game of inches. Either you're winning or you're losing, but it's slowly. And a lot of effort, but little reward. And maybe that's how a lot of us feel in this room that you are trying and trying and trying to make change happen in your life, but it's tough. And so you're wondering, why can't I stop? And so you're fighting against your sinful side. Why can't I stop drinking? Like, I know I shouldn't do it. It's not good for me or my family, but you know what? It's a way to relax at the end of the day. And so, okay, um, so I don't wanna be the only one drinking and it's, it's not okay. Um, why can't I stop being on my phone for hours at a time? Like, I'm just, you know, wanna relax and I know it's not good for me, but I just wanna stay connected and I can't not be on my phone because... 2022. Like, come on, people. Um, why can't I stop overspending? I'm trying to be wise with my money. And I know God says that I should tithe and all this stuff. But hear me out. It was an Amazon's choice. And from there, I uh, bought four of them. It was on sale. And then I overdrew my bank accounts, the whole thing. Why can't I stop procrastinating? God says, don't be lazy. Work as if I'm working for the Lord. But I turn on the TV, and it was Harry Potter weekend. And so <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't know when that's on next. It's only on once every two weeks. I got to make sure it's, you know, I watch it. So I'll do it tomorrow. Why can't I stop? But then we slowly begin to lose this battle. And it seems, I'm tired. (laughs) My next point, sin is exhausting. No, um, but it seems that we lose that battle more than we win. That we're trying and trying and trying and we have hardly any progress. Now, for some of us, We may have a lot of different reasons or factors that aid, you know, kind of that that battle that go against us, especially when it comes to addiction or the severity of what we're relying on, whether it's physical, emotional, relational. Some of us may have just, again, emotional baggage. We have trauma in our past. We have an imbalance. Like, I'm not dismissing any of those things, but we're not getting there this morning. Because what I believe is that most of the time, it comes down to us trying to meet a spiritual need with something other than God. It comes down to us trying to meet a spiritual need without God. That he should be what makes us content. He should be what satisfies us, but we run to something else. And so what I want us to do this morning is identify like you know that thing that you've probably been thinking about the past 15 minutes that you're like ah, oh, you know what if anyone found that out I would not be happy about that or that thing that just has more control over your life than you really want it to that's been hurting you that's been holding you back what is it and by the way this isn't something that I haven't already asked myself and so I don't want to ask you guys something that I haven't done, that I haven't reflected on. And so if it's okay with you, let me be a little transparent and tell you what that thing was for me. It was a uh, late elementary, early middle school was the first time that I saw pornography. I was at a friend's house and the uh, the Playboy stash was discovered. So naturally it was a topic of conversation. And what that day started was a curiosity that led to consistency. And so for me, for years, I kept giving in to that sin, and I was hit with feelings of fear and guilt and shame and frustration, all the while trying to honor God, trying to make these commitments, trying to stop, but I was failing. And again, I was a believer for most of that time, but again, I, as I tried to fight this kind of on my own, Felt more and more isolated from everybody else, trying my best, telling God I was going to stop. But usually, I would end up right back in the same spot, committing the same sin that I felt most guilty about. And I wanted to do the right thing, but I kept losing the battle. And so, nonetheless, it seemed that one magazine led to around a decade of me being addicted Asking, why can't I stop? Now, that's not my favorite thing to talk about in the world. But I share that for a few reasons. One, it's because that's what we're supposed to do. 2 Corinthians 12 is a passage that um, Harold might have even been in this in the series already. But Paul writes about a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what it is exactly, but it's something that made him depend on God. It was problematic for his life, and he doesn't ignore it. it doesn't, um, he doesn't shy away from it. He says, God's grace is sufficient, so I will gladly boast in my weakness if it means elevating Jesus. Because when I am weak, I'm actually strong. Or in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and he goes and gives him instructions, and he says, all right, go home and report it to your people and tell them about the great things that God has done for you. Tell them about how great his mercy is. And that is all I'm doing here this morning. Telling you that I am very much just as as in need of Jesus as anybody else. But I'm here to say that God is good and God is faithful. And he doesn't just save us, but he sustains us as we follow him every day. And I also share that so that you know that you are not the only one. Not necessarily in this area of purity specifically, but what the devil loves to do in our sin as we struggle with things, he loves to lie to you. And tell you, yeah, you're the only one going through that. Like, no other Christians are failing like you are. You can't tell other people. Do you know what the... It's all lies. But he loves to make you think that you can't go anywhere. And you are the only one. And I'm not sure, but I'm guessing somebody in this room needs to realize that you are not the only one. That I've been there too. And that wasn't until I started taking this fight seriously. And Paul says that there is a spiritual war going on. And I think one of the biggest reasons why we don't often succeed and why we can't stop is because we don't view it like a war. We go around with this peacetime mentality and just, uh, you know, we're passive against it. And then we're surprised or discouraged when sin starts to win. And Paul's like, no, it is a battle. It is a war. And we need to be on guard. We need to be alert. And so if you are here this morning, you find yourself stuck in sin. You find yourself not being able to stop, not being able to find victory in this. I don't want to leave you without some practical steps um, on how to be alert. And so uh, I'm going to give you an acronym this morning to kind of help you remember this. I did not come up with this. But another pastor, author, uh, puts it this way, that when sin is killing you, how do you breathe life back into your faith? You do CPR. So C, what do we do when we're stuck in sin? First thing is we confess. We confess to God, and we also confess to the right people. The first thing we do is identify, okay, what am I, what am I losing to? Like, what area of my life do I need to line more up with the Bible and what God says? identify it and then take it to God that he loves you he is waiting for us to repent and turn to him but we have to acknowledge where we fall short Bible says that he is faithful to forgive and so go to him first and tell him what you're going through in your life he already knows but he wants you to go to him and not only do we confess to God but we confess to other Christians that you invite people into your struggle with you. And I'm not going to lie, this is, this is probably the scary part. Some of us in this room are like, you want me to tell people what I'm saying? No, no, nope, no, thank you. And a lot of us may be thinking, okay, I got gotcha. you. I'm going to get through this. Like, I know I'm struggling with this. I know I'm failing. I know no one else knows. But I'm going to improve. I'm going to beat this sin. And then afterwards, then I'll tell people what I went through instead of having to tell people what I'm going through now. That way it's less embarrassing, it's less awkward, you know, it'll just be better. But for many reasons, the Bible says that is a bad, unwise decision. One, because we will not reach our full potential without other people. God has given you others in this room, in this church, just in your life in general, other Christians to help you. And we're not meant to just do this on our own, but use other people that it's the wise thing to ask for help. And another reason why I think that's, the Bible says it's a bad idea, is that when we're even unwilling to obey God in this area, when we're unwilling to confess to others, it shows that that sin is still holding too much weight in our life, too much authority. Like, how do we expect to beat something that we can't even talk about? And for me... Just personally, in my faith, some of the most rewarding yet challenging moments have been me walking into a room, walking into a conversation, walking to another Christian guy or group of guys and honestly telling them, hey, this is where I'm at. (laughs) Like, I'm losing this battle to lust. I'm losing this battle to pride. I've been lazy this week. I've been angry. And their job is to simply be there for you. And so we need to allow people to know what's going on in our lives, and ask them to help us in this fight. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So Paul says, if you want healing, you need help. If you want to be healed, you need to get help. And so I'm not saying that you should go on Facebook or tell the world, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm saying start with the closest Christians around you. Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, or finding the godliest Christians that you know, uh, one or two of them, and saying, hey, I need your help. This is what I'm battling with. This is what I've been losing to. And then James 5.16 actually gave us the next step. We confess, and then we pray. That's what P stands for. We have others pray for us, and we also pray to God ourselves that we confess. And then step two is have others pray. Tell them, hey, I need prayer uh, for this. For uh, I, I'm, I'm going here tomorrow. I'm going to be at work tomorrow. I'm going to be with my family. Like pray that I can you know, have strength and self-control. Have others help you. But we also pray to God ourselves that we have the opportunity to talk to our Creator anytime we want. And we can beg him and ask him and say, God, I'm tired of this. I pray that you would change my desires and change my heart and allow me to know you greater. And James says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He says, prayer is powerful because God is. And so we confess, we pray, and are, we remove access we want, to remove, or sorry, we want to begin to make boundaries from that sin. This is kind of the, the practical, like, hey, we're the, um, just where the rubber meets the road. This is, this is that step. And this is where you kind of begin to see who's serious or not. And so we remove access. We want to make it difficult on us to sin. And we want to set boundaries as we start healing. So if you're in this room and you are stuck with pornography... And some of us just need to remove access and not have a smartphone, go back to a dumb phone. (laughs) Like it's a simple step. We don't need internet. We'll survive without those apps. We don't need that Netflix subscription, like we'll be okay. Or some of us, maybe if we're struggling with fear and worry and anxiety, maybe we just need to remove social media because we're being constantly fed things that do not support or do not encourage truth from God's word but we listen to what other people say and that's what we begin to dwell on or maybe it's those friends in your life that I'm not saying you need to just cut cold turkey but realize that man the most of the conversations you have they're negative all they do is gossip about other people and it's about things that do not honor God and if that's what's constantly in your head kind of what you're feeding yourself is going to play a part in the result of your life Or maybe it's, okay, I'm going to set this boundary. I'm going to make sure that from the time I leave work, from the time I go home, I'm going to call somebody. Call my husband, call my wife, brother, sister, friend. And so that way, it's not as easy for me to go buy another lottery ticket or go to that bar or do whatever I'm usually tempted to do. We want to make it difficult on us because serious sin calls for serious action. And so we want to be active in this battle. We confess, we pray, we remove access. And uh, this wasn't in the original CPR, but I'm going to add another R to this, if I can. So CPR. Uh, we need to remind ourselves of truth. Remind ourselves of truth. I don't know if you caught it, but we never finished chapter seven. Verse 24 was the last one we read. There's still one more verse. This battle that Paul is painting, uh, it's been pretty dreary so far. But he doesn't let that discourage him. He doesn't question his salvation. It drives him back to the truth of the gospel. And so verse 24, he says, Who will set me free from this body of death? 25 says, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. He says, who will set me free? And he answers on question. He says, God will, through his son, Jesus. And then he goes on to chapter 8, which I would encourage you guys to read even today. As we're talking about this, this is what he says next. He talks all about just the, the great depth of the gospel and how true it is and what he's done for us. He says, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That Jesus did what we couldn't do. And we are not obligated to live according to the flesh because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And that is so important to remember. That is so important to remember. Because he has given us eternal hope knowing that there will be one day where we are removed from sin, where the power of death is gone, but we still need God's grace every day. Because winning this battle isn't about trying harder. It's about relying on God's strength, knowing that we are not strong enough. And so we do that by constantly reminding ourselves of truth, and on a practical basis, that means day to day, even if you don't love reading, okay, I'm not the biggest fan of reading either, but God says, hey, is something will happen to your life when you are feeding yourself of his truth instead of whatever else we're tempted to think about or watch or just intake. He says that how we begin to renew our minds and change our minds is by constantly being in his word, meditating on it. Allowing it to soak in our lives and thinking, okay, yeah, I read that this morning in, in, in Romans 7, Romans 8, but how does that apply to my life? Like, How can I make that a reality today? Allowing that to renew our minds and change our minds so that it changes our actions. And I think about it this way. Um, when it comes to winning this battle, like when it comes to beginning a relationship with Jesus, we are not saved by us trying harder right? We're not saved by, you know what? I think God's happy with me this week. I've been doing better. I, haven't, I didn't sin as much. We're good. It's the complete opposite. Bible says that we can do nothing to earn it, that we have to humbly come to God and say, I have nothing. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. God, I need you. If that's true for our salvation and our eternity, Why should our daily lives be any different? It shouldn't. Letting God work and change our heart inside so that the result is outward obedience. And so the goal is not to just change your behavior. The goal is to love Jesus more than your sin. To remind ourselves of truth constantly and let God inform us how to fight this battle. And so if... If you need to, if you're here this morning, you're going, yeah, that sounds a lot like me. This Romans 7 struggle, Paul writing, I feel stuck in sin. I don't know what to do. I can't stop. Don't leave here today without taking some step. Some of you, you need to say that prayer. Some of you just need to confess to God and then maybe make that phone call, send that text, find or just express to some other Christian, hey, this is what I'm going through. I need your help. Don't leave here without taking a step today to make progress and to trust in God's strength and not your own. Because you have the opportunity to be honest, that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to hide anymore, because we can be secure in the grace of God, knowing that he has done everything for us and he has given us everything that we need. And that's how we win this battle. Let's go ahead and pray this morning as we, uh, as we wrap up.